Hi, and welcome everyone to the 56th episode of Serum Rocks. This is Marcus Alonson, and today's podcast will be about GDPR and CRM. And with me today, I have Muhammad Mustafa from Tech Labs London. Muhammad is a Microsoft most valuable professional who focuses on architecting, leading and delivering Dynamics 365 technology, enabled business solutions and digital transformation programs. He has been focusing on Microsoft Dynamics CRM for more than 12 years. He has led and delivered Dynamics programs across various industries and sectors leading both onshore and offshore teams. Muhammad is also a regular speaker. Welcome Muhammad Mustafa. Hi, Marcus. Um, thanks very much for uh, inviting me for your program, CRM Rocks. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, a very interesting chat with you indeed. Yeah, my pleasure. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thanks. Very well. A CRM is all about managing a customer relationship. So what is a good customer relationship to you? Mm, interesting question. So I think for me, a customer relationship is all about delivering tangible results, delivering benefits. And not, not just for organizations, but also for its customers. So if I'm working with an organization delivering a Dynamics or Microsoft Dynamics CRM solution for them, number one objective for me is to make sure that they get a solution that delivers the benefits and the business case they are after, and to make sure that their customers can see the benefit of this solution in the long term as well. Who are your customer? For the past 12 to 18 months, I've been focusing on working on client side, working with clients, end users who are implementing Microsoft Dynamics 365 themselves, um, whether with a partner or not. But I sit on the client side facing up to that partner, or um, if there isn't a partner, then I'm helping them internally deliver their Dynamics 365 solution. And what I would call that is more of a technical delivery assurance, because I'm delivering Microsoft Dynamics both functional and technical solution for them, but, but on their on the client side, as opposed to as a partner or consultant. You're working as an architect delivering CRM. What is it that you do? Yeah, but I, I, I like to think about it more of working as a bridge between the business and the technology. So I like to interpret and transform business requirements to technical specifications, to technical solution design. That's more of what I think a good architect should be focusing on. It's also about making sure that this solution is not just a bug-free solution or issue-free solution, but it's a solution that delivers the tangible benefits that I mentioned earlier. It's the solution that delivers the business objectives so that it's money well spent by the organization because they're getting the benefits back from this implementation. Going to GDPR, what is it? Yeah, I guess um, all of us were asking, uh, I was asking that question just eight, nine months ago, uh, GDPR, what does that mean? I think it's a, it's, a, it's a very hot subject at the moment. I'm sure many organizations by now have heard of it, if not have learned a lot about it, a good deal about it. Um, but I can summarize it as, as Wikipedia really summarizes it. Um, obviously, GDPR stands for the General Data Protection Regulation. It's a new regulation that the European Parliament, European Council and the European Commission are going to use to strengthen and unify data protection across the whole of Europe. And that applies for all individuals within the European Union. 
It also addresses the very important subject or area about the export of personal data outside of the EU, something that current data protection regulations didn't cover good enough. It did, but not good enough as GDPR. GDPR is really focusing around unifying all these rules together and also addressing the export of data. Who does it apply to? Yeah, so in in GDPR terms, it applies it applies to both controllers and processors. Now, controllers typically are are what we call the end client or the end user, um, or the organization that actually captures the data. So, if we imagine we've got Bank X, and they're using consultancy Y to deliver a solution for them. So, Bank X is the controller. And consultancy Y is the processor, the data processor um, in this situation. So it applies to both. And one of the main significant changes that GDPR brings into, um, you know, into our world is that there, there is a significant increase of the legal obligation on the data processors, which in our case, consultancy Y. So consultancy Y previously might not be liable to any fines or any court procedures if they they were the cause of data losses or data breaches, um, and mainly was the controllers were the ones applied to these kind of fines. We can talk more about this, but the GDPR, what, what it brings is that it brings a significant increase in the legal obligation on the process. Okay, so it doesn't talk about if it's business to business or business to consumers or anything like that then? Yeah, so that's a good question. So the impact of GDPR is probably a subject we can talk about it for quite some long time. But one of the main um, differences in, in um, that I mentioned, I've just mentioned now around the new data protection is that service providers are more liable. But then service providers could be could be an individual working as a, an independent contractor, or it could be an individual within an organization. So it's now liability is affecting a lot more than what used to be just the large end client or end, uh, or end user organization. But it also applies to, so it, it mainly applies to individuals working with entities. So whatever this entity is, whether it's a business, it's a, as I said, it could be a bank, it could be a an online website, e-commerce, whoever the entity is, you as an individual, as a citizen of EU or a resident in the EU, it applies to you. It gives you a lot more rights than what you currently have as an individual, as an EU individual. And that's, again, one of the objectives of GDPR. The published objective is, number one, is to give EU citizens and residents, give them back control of their personal data. The number two objective is to simplify the regulatory environment because currently you could have different data protection acts in different European countries. But GTPR is aiming to unify all of these regulations together um, so that you have one law around data protection that applies across the EU for all individuals and um, residents in the EU and across any organization that works with the EU, whether they are in the EU or outside, it still applies on them. Okay, so then I would like to summarize it as the data about me is mine, whether it is stored at some company or elsewhere, 
that data about me that is mine then, so I have rights to that. Absolutely. And you can add to that, you've got additional rights, like the right to be forgotten. You can actually call your um, call on the organization that provided a service to you or collected your name before, or you gave them a consent before to collect your information and, and maybe send you some marketing material. You can contact them and say, I would like to be forgotten from your systems. And they are obliged by law to go and delete every record that associates you to them. Not only that, it also gives you the right as an individual to, um, uh, um, to the right to be forgotten and the right to move or your data from one supplier to the other. This is what they call the right to data portability. So you can actually call in, an, um, let's say, a cloud provider and say, I would like to move all my cloud data that you currently have from from your cloud to another cloud. They cannot prevent you. They cannot cause you, they cannot make it difficult for you, basically, to move all your data from one cloud to the other. And again, it's one of the significant changes and I would say personal gains that individuals in the EU will gain from GDPR because everything around the cloud wasn't prominent you know, five, six years ago, or you know, let alone 10 years ago when some of the data protection acts were released. But nowadays, everything is going towards the cloud, and hence it needed a lot more tighter controls around you as an individual, what you have and what more rights you can get uh, because you own your own data. So GDPR is all about this personal identifiable information. What's that? What does that mean? Personal identifiable information, PI, is a very um, core element of GDPR. There are other areas which we can talk about at a, at a later point. So you've got the consent, you've got the, dif the differentiation between um, in-house data and cloud data. You've got the whole governance and monitoring and breach management. But personal identifiable data is a cornerstone. If you don't understand that as a consultant, you, it, it's a really difficult to apply GDPR. So personal identifiable information is any information that identifies an individual. That could be their name, something simple like their name, their address, their email address, their date of birth, but it can go further into their GPS and GU locations, their national insurance number, or any other information that you can identify an individual with. So it's not even a limited set of, of, of information. It's anything that you can use to identify an individual with. That's what they call PI. And then within that kind of pool of information, you've got different categories as well. So you have the sensitive, sensitive data. And sensitive data could be something like ethnicity or race, religion, sexual orientation, even disability. These are sensitive data that you as an individual might ask not your, your organization either not to store it about you or if they do store it about you, that very specific individuals within that organization have access to it. If I look at all this, then why should I care as an entity then? So organizations now are liable to huge amount of fines with GDPR. This could go up to 20 million euros, or even 4% of the global annual turnover. 
it's a massive amount. Or imagine an international bank that they've got banks in every single European country and worldwide. The 4% of their global annual turnover is probably a huge amount of money, is in billions. So they have to be very careful they do not um, breach GDPR compliance. It's a significant amount of fines. Not, uh, not only that, but obviously there is a huge amount of um, public uh, you know, outcry now about data protection, who owns my data, where is my data, and where it's stored. So that's why organizations really have to look at it. But then organizations have the responsibility to go and define the difference between what we said, PI and sensitive data. And then they have to go and define the four main questions. Who, why, when, and where. Who have access to the customer data? Who from within your organization? Which staff members? And why do they need to have this access? Do they really need to have this access? Or is that just an additional access that they don't need? In which case, you shouldn't give them that access. And when do they need to have access to this data? Do they need to have access to this data all the time? Or should we, as an organization, have a process that provides a process to give approval for data access or data access approval processes? So you might you might want to know the let's say the sexual orientation of your customers because you have statutory requirements to report on the sexual orientation and ethnicities, for example, of your customers or because you run marketing campaigns based on specific information around this data. However, you do not have to expose this information to every individual in your organization. In fact, you should hide this information because it's sensitive information that does not, that is not required for the day-to-day -day activities of your um, users or, or existing staff. So then comes in the area where you need to protect this data within a secure team, within a, a, a specific area of your solution, if we talk about Microsoft Dynamics, for example, and use that to protect the customer data, the sensitive data. The other element as well is that PI, personal identifiable information that we're talking about, some of this information might be required for day-to-day -day activities that your staff requires, in which case they should be able to access it. But then the question would be, going back to the who, where, when, and uh, when, where, and where, where would they need to access this information? Do they need to access this information on the go? So would you allow a field officer, for example, or a sales officer on the, on, in the field to have every single customer on your database on their tablets so that if they lose it and if they don't have enough security, you've lost you know, tens of thousands of customer um, personal data? Do they actually need to have this data on the go? Or would you have a subset of this data on the tablets for the customer, for the field officers or the sales officers who you are um, sending out on the on, on the on the road, just the minimum information they need to, requ to re they require to to do their job while on the road. But once they are back in their office, within the security of your network, or within a VPN connection, even if they are working from their home, but still within a VPN connection within your network, then at this point they can access the wider information that they still need to access, but not while on the go. All of that feeds into 
the approach or the efforts to stop the loss of data because data breaches are going to be very expensive. So does this apply to digital or analog information? I mean, a picture of a wall, does that count as personal <laughs> identifiable information? Yeah, I don't know how many organizations have pictures of the wall of their customers, but um, <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting um, idea. I think it's a very good question because some organizations um, that I have been speaking to about GDPR and Microsoft Dynamics specifically, they've got this um, understanding that it's just within our CRM system, Customer Relationship Management System. It only applies to that, or it only applies to systems where our customers' data are being held. But in reality, it applies to every single piece of information, whether it's online, whether it's um, on a system, or whether it's written. It applies to anything that you capture and store about your customer, including printed information. It also applies to every single communication. So as part of the right to be forgotten as an EU resident, you can ask your the, the organization that you want to be forgotten from, you can ask them to wipe out all your information, including any emails that were related to you or talking about you as a customer, um, which means your organizations or these organizations will have to have the capabilities, the processes, both business processes as well as system processes to be able to capture every shred of information about this customer and be able to archive, delete, um, anonymize this information in order not to be in breach. So that means either don't capture it at all, so you don't have, have it and cannot be liable for it, or have really good controls about it then? That's a very good point. I think, contrary to what we've always thought from a CRM perspective, from a customer relationship perspective, you want to know everything about your customer. Um, I remember I had clients where they, they wanted to know which football team their customer supports because they want to send them, um, you know, a text, congratulations, your team have won 3-0 today or, or whatever. They want to know, you know, the name of their dogs. They want to know everything about their customers to provide a better service, to show them that they care about their customers. Now, it's becoming or it is going to be a lot more difficult to achieve that unless you have a clear and full consent from your customers. So to capture all this information is great from a customer service perspective, but might get you in breach if you don't have the processes, the right processes and the right systems. And that has led to what you just mentioned around the fact that you have to make a choice as an organization. Should I store everything I, want, I can store about the customer? But at the same time, I have to implement a very robust data capture, data processing, data access processes, monitoring, governance, reporting, all of that. I have to have that watertight. Or the second option is I go and just don't collect any information that I don't require for the, my day-to-day -day activities. I would limit the information to what I exactly need. Anything over and above that, I would just wipe it out. And we have a precedent already where an organization, don't want to mention the name, but it's a UK organization, it's a pub chain, who have decided to wipe out the, their entire email database. They looked at their email database, they thought about it, they wondered, should we 
capture all this information? Do we have the right processes to manage our customers' subject access requests, right to be forgotten, the right of data portability, or, do, or would it be better to wipe this clean and start again from scratch? And they decided to completely wipe out their customer email database. So it's, it's you know, I think we'll see more of that from, from what I'm seeing. Many organizations will reconsider whether or not they should capture all this information. Is it required for the day-to-day -day activities? And um, is it really worth the risk of capturing this information? On the other hand, you will find larger organizations such as banks, such as organizations which provide very heavily customized services, they will have to capture all the information they require, but they will have to invest a lot in making sure that their processes are watertight, as I call them. Does GDPR mention something like purposes then? So you have to have a purpose and it has to be defined for that information that you capture. Exactly. Yes. And so GDPR requires that any data um, an organization is capturing, it's capturing for a purpose. And it can't be just the generic purposes. We would like to know more about our customer. It needs to be a, a purpose that is important for the organization and beneficial for the customer. And to capture that, the organization must provide or must have an explicit consent from the customer. So they can't just have it as a, you know, a small print to say, contact us, put in some information at the bottom, by the way, we'll capture your data forever. No, they have to have very clear and explicit and informed consent by the customer to allow them to capture and store their data. And this consent cannot be moved from one entity to the other, for example. So you can't say, Bank A is owned by Bank B. I got a consent for Bank A, hence, by default, the consent can be more, can be transferred to Bank B, the parent bank. You can't. The consent has to be explicitly written and clearly pointing towards every entity this consent is about. And that is really important because there is a lot of organizations that took for granted that one consent can work between all their subsidiaries. But moreover, you have got the right as an individual, as an EU resident, to withdraw that consent. So you can go at any point and say, you know what, yesterday I gave you consent to contact me and capture my data and send me marketing information and run marketing campaigns and analysis on my data. Today, I don't feel like it. I don't want it. <laughs> and you should have, as an organization, an easy way to allow your customers to withdraw that consent. It can't be a convoluted process that the customer really struggles with because that will take you into the gray area of not being compliant with GDPR. And also, it could lead you to the area where compensations by customers will be allowed. So GDPR brings in new regulations that allows individuals, EU residents and customers, um, they give them the right to claim compensation in case of unlawful data processing. They can go and get compensation for the, from the organizations that lost their data. We hear a lot about data breaches and um, hacks into... Um, databases, customer databases, any any such breach could lead 
to not just the fines, but huge amounts of compensations from every customer um, that have their data stolen. If we go to Dynamics 365 and CRM then, I mean, this has been a pretty generic this far. So what about Dynamics? That's really my passion around GDPR is how we can make our Microsoft Dynamics 365 solutions, especially around the customer engagement or what we previously called CRM, how we make it compliant, how we make it as close as possible to GDPR compliance. And how can we do that using out-of-the-box features and capabilities that are built in Microsoft Dynamics 365? And I think and I, and I honestly believe that Microsoft Dynamics 365 provides a lot, if not all, the features, the capabilities that you may need to be able to protect this data. The difficulty will always going to be the business process. What is your business process? How you're going to control data access? The implementation, once you've defined that properly, should be straightforward. It's understanding the business process and how it's going to work with Microsoft Dynamics. And also it's about tweaking the business process slightly to make sure that you stay within the out of the box features of Microsoft Dynamics, because otherwise you will end up building security layer on top of the existing Microsoft Dynamics security layer, which is already quite comprehensive. So it becomes costly to clients, it becomes more difficult to maintain and more difficult to support and upgrade. So going back to your, your question, I think there are some features in Microsoft Dynamics that directly apply to some of the areas that we've been discussing. I mean, we could spend probably a few hours just talking about some of these features, and I'm sure you, Marcus, can, can add a lot more to what I'm saying as well. I think just from a summary perspective for this um, discussion, I would say for Pi, for personal identifiable information, from personal experience, I had to work with a client who wanted to define um, their PI, their customer's personal identifiable information, and they wanted to protect the sensitive data. They didn't want every staff member to access every field in every in every Microsoft Dynamics CRM form. So what we ended up doing was a combination of using Microsoft Dynamics CRM multiple forms. So you had one form for your call center, which only shows the data about the customer that your call center agent requires to perform their day-to-day -day activity or to deliver good customer service on the phone call. On the other hand, you've got other um, users of Microsoft Dynamics CRM who may require some additional information but they only require this additional information while they're working from a device connected to the organization network. So via VPN or via um, the laptop or desktops within the network of the organization, even if they are physically at home, but they are connected via VPN. So that is another form. But then you wrap all of that with a number of field level security Teams, security roles, applying security roles across your various teams, using business units, using team um, um, owners, owner team, owning teams, and also using, as I said, um, field level security. Because you don't want them not just to see the data, you don't want them to be able to report on this data. You don't want them to 
have any access to this data. So having a number of those watertight security measures in Microsoft Dynamics can help you deliver that. Security rules pr provides a very strong layer where you can protect certain entities or certain processes or certain pieces of information about the customer that you don't want to, to show. For example, if you have um, a legal action or if you have a case against this customer, you don't want everyone to know about these details. So you might have a custom entity that is called legal action and you have a security role that allows specific teams within the organization to access this data. But then within that, you might not want to show everything about this case, court case, to every team. So then you choose a number of those teams and you give them a field level security that allows them to see specific information or specific details and so on and so forth. And then you've got the area around sensitive data. Again, you need to be able to collect sensitive data because one of my clients, for example, they have statutory requirements to show what type of ethnicities they are providing the service to because they are a public sector organization and they should show the uh, percentage of different ethnicities, backgrounds, cultures, and so on. But they also need to know what type of disabilities their customers have because they provide the service based on this disability this customer has. Then becomes the challenge. We want to capture the disability. We don't need to show the disability to every user in our organization. But at the same time, we need to provide the service that is based on this disability. And the way we got around this is that we ended up defining or, or dividing the, this information into two pieces. One piece of information is what disability, disability this person have. So it might be this per person have a um, problem with hearing or they have mobility problem. But then you've got the welfare requirement. How are you going to service this customer? to help them with their disability. So a welfare requirement is, for example, if you go on a knock on a customer's door, please wait for up to 10 minutes because the customer will take could take up to 10 minutes to get to the door. You don't need to know why they might take up to 10 minutes. You don't need to know what type of disability as a, as a staff member. You don't need to know what type of disability this customer have or has, um, but you need to know what welfare, what welfare requirements you have. So. Things like that, organizations have to start to think really deep into how to stay GDPR compliant while at the same time providing an excellent service to their customers. And splitting your data, defining your data, um, hiding some of the information that your users don't require, but keeping other information for reporting and compliance or and other compliance reasons and so on and so forth. Some of some of the actions that we've taken, for example, still within the pie area, is that we allowed the capture of um, sexualities of our customers because we still have to report about them. But you cannot drill down into the sexuality of a customer within Microsoft Dynamics 365. The only way you can do that is an aggregate of all your customers in your data warehouse. So we export the data into data warehouse. And in the data warehouse, you cannot drill down to an individual customer and see what sexuality they have. But you can see that you've got, I don't know, 70% heterosexual or whatever, whatever information you have and so on. So again, organizations, solution architects, business architects, they, start, they need to start to think about how they can achieve compliance without impacting their services. So in the example here of the data warehouse, you're removing 
the personal identifiable information to keep the statistics. So you still can run this statistics report for you, but you don't have this sort of liability or GDPR consideration at all because you don't really can identify individuals any longer. Exactly. And and now, I mean, even that will bring in another challenge because you can't just wipe out the, the, this information because once, you know, um, let's, um, you know, there are things that won't change, but there are other things, other sensitive data that might change, a disability might change, a sexuality might change. So you might capture that, this today, but you need to update it in a six months time. So you can't wipe it out. But what you can do is you completely secure it so that you've got a very discrete number of users who can access it, who can update it. Everyone else can't. And then you push that to the data warehouse so you can run reports and you can run regulatory um, reporting and statutory reporting that you have to deliver to your government um, without being able to drill down to the personal um, information or sensitive information of a person. So, so again, it, it you know it brings in a lot of challenges. Some of the challenges, for example, is around okay, if I capture, if I want to capture everything about the customer to set them up for the first time, I can't have those five, you know, highly um, uh, you know confidential a team of five users are the, the only they are the only ones who can see the sensitive data. You can't use those five to capture every single new customer. So what then you do? How can you process that? How can you let the rest of your contact center still capture customer customers uh, data and create a new customer? But then when it comes to providing sensitive data, you pass them on to the team of of, of five individuals who deal with sensitive data and so on. I mean, there's there's a lot of thinking and a lot of approaches um, that every organization have to to look at. What do you think about export to Excel in this GDPR consideration? Yeah, so that's um, that's another um, big challenge that organizations, many organizations, they have um, some of their Microsoft Dynamics users. They like to export data into a spreadsheet, play around with the data, perhaps create their own pivot table, um, maybe do even sometimes do some updates in, in a spreadsheet and then push it back to Dynamics. But then you have to think where this spreadsheet can then go. Could that spreadsheet be attached to an email and get sent by mistake to someone else? Or could that be hacked and accessed because it was stored in, a, in an insecure um, laptop, for example, or insecure device? So then you've got this whole challenge around data portability, which we always thought it's a great feature. Microsoft Dynamics allows you to export your data in so many different ways. You can do whatever you want with your data. But from a security and a GDPR compliance perspective, you have to know every one of those approaches. Do they actually need this? And should you allow them to have it? Another challenge is around mobility and mobile devices. Now, if you've got a mobile phone and you have a Microsoft Dynamics 365 mobile app, or you've got a tablet, you've got these, the, the tablet app, what can you and cannot export out of Dynamics into your local device? Because unless your local device is within your organization network security and you've got somehow a good um, device management solution that protects this data, you are 
you've got um, almost like a, a gap or a hole in your security that allows any individuals to export customer data and, and possibly lose them or or data breach or, or and so on. So again, there's lots of challenges around around that. So the whole data portability and being able to export data into Excel or into other, any other form of mobility are also going to be a challenge. And then you've got the whole area around the data access and the consent, how you're going to have processes that allows you to control access to this data if you need to access them and also control consent because you need to capture the consent from the customer to capture the data. But then you have to have this consent valid all the time because you might have a consent that is only 12 months. 12 A day after those 12 months, you shouldn't have this customer data in your system. What are you going to do? Would you build up workflow processes in Microsoft Dynamics that does a bulk delete? Any customer that current consent is invalid, delete. Or would you have a process that if there is a consent is about to expire, please contact the customer and obtain a new consent and renew the consent. And then also, what if this um, this consent is limited by a number of services or a number of activities or specific data that you're capturing. But now you want to expand into additional data. Again, you have to go and, and maintain that consent and expand that consent to cover everything. So there's a lot of areas around consent. And how are you going to obtain that in a call center situation? If, you, if the customer is calling you, are you recording the customer call? In which case you can ask the customer, are you happy for us to store your information for the next 24 months? And the customer says yes, and you keep that recording. And if you have lots and lots of recording for, for this customer for every time they call you, how can you allocate this consent quickly? And then if you have it written, do you have the facilities to uh, upload and, and digitize this written consent from the customer? And how about the customer portal? If you have a customer portal and you're capturing the consent on the customer portal, how you can make sure that this consent that is captured from one channel is available to every other channel? So lots of questions, many solutions, but it will always depend on each organization, its processes, its requirements, and how they want to achieve their compliance. But the one thing that they all have in common is they all have to work very hard to achieve that compliance. I always thought that portals can be an easy way to get some of these parts covered. For example, the individuals have right to access. Well, if you have a customer self-service portal, perhaps you can guide them there so they can log in and then look at their information themselves. So you don't have to have this personal intensive gathering on your side then. Yes, and that's true. You can you can use any channel, especially if it's a portal or a customer portal, to capture this consent. But remember what we discussed earlier, that the consent has to be very clear. I mean, to the point that in cases of capturing children data, your consent has to be written very clearly that even that, that even children will understand what you're doing with their data. It goes down to that level. You, your consent, it can't be the usual 24-page privacy notice that 
you don't no one ever reads because you will never be able to read 24 pages just before you fill in a fill a form it needs to be very clear and very precise especially if you're capturing children data so i can imagine companies like um, lego for example they will have um, you know a lot of trouble capturing um, their their children customer children uh, data on their lego clubs you know my personally my uh, my son for example he's he's very fascinated with the lego club and, and they are registered with it and I'm pretty sure they never um, signed a consent or they wouldn't know what is a consent to start with. So again, you have to adjust and change your consent, even if it's on a website, to the level of your customers, what you're trying to capture, make it very clear, make it explicit. It can no longer be hidden. It can no longer be unreadable. It needs to be very well written and very easily read and understood um, consent, whether it's on the portal or whether it's on a phone call um, or any other channel. If I have information, the personal identifiable information today, and I have no consent or nothing of that sort, then I need to start reaching out to all of those individuals today then. Indeed. I think every organization that doesn't have a consent now, they are left with one of the two options that um, the example case study or organization that we mentioned earlier, they have one of two options, either delete the data because they can't get hold of the customer to get their consent, or they get a very explicit consent to continue to hold this information. Or maybe the other way around, they try to get that consent, they have to invest in contacting every one of their customers where they don't believe they have a, a, a clear explicit consent, obtain that consent, capture it, make sure you've got, they've got enough processes to maintain it and ensure it's always valid and it's ring and when it's close to expire it's it's automatically um, notifying someone to go and try to renew it with the customer and then after that you continue to capture the information but if you can't obtain that consent organizations will be left with no choice but um, deleting some of their customer data if i have this dynamic crm on premise or I have this offline capability that was in Dynamics, perhaps it is still in Dynamics here, I'm in the older versions, yeah. and I, I get the, the, the um, a lost or someone breaches my system. What, what are my, what do I have to do then? What are my considerations? So from a, from a breach, from a, a data breach perspective, GDPR, um, prescribes really very specifically that organizations must have a number of layers of governance around their customer data. So in addition to the data access um, controls, they must have data access patterns, especially for larger organizations. A pattern, data access patterns will allow them, will alert the organization to any irreg irregularities or any unexpected behavior around customer data. So, for example, using the sensitive data section that we mentioned before, if um, a staff member who is not supposed to access a sensitive data record and they manage to access it either intentionally or, in, or unintentionally, they, the organization must have the right processes, both system and business, to immediately alert um, the data protection team about this unexpected behavior or these irregularities. And then it moves up 
a level where it requires you, the organization to proactively run a risk-based approach, which means they should always be monitoring the, the their data. They're always checking, has there been a data access that is, is not supposed to happen? And it needs to be really intelligent, the, those kind of det detection and notifications. So, for example, if there is a... Um, uh, out of the blue over a weekend, a download of full customer data into you know someone's computer or, or even a few records of someone's computer, that should immediately send out a notification to the organization data security for them to investigate what, what is this about? Is this a lawful access? And is that business related or not? And then they should have um, a pretty much a, a, a compliant investigations, a regular compliant investigation. So not only being proactive, always monitoring regular detections and notifications, but they also must be, um, must have some compliance investigations. So they every one month, two months, three months, whatever they deem appropriate, they should run a compliance investigation on all their systems to make sure they've got enough controls, enough monitoring, enough auditing of data access, and they can effectively report on all of that. They must have the clear accountability. Who can access what? They must know that. They can't rely on an open system, open for all. They need to know who's accessing what information at what time. And then for cloud, cloud providers, for example, or cloud vendors, such as Microsoft Azure, Microsoft can't just provide now a um, you know an Azure cloud service. They can't just provide you a virtual machine and or a server in the cloud. They need to tell you who can access the server, who from Microsoft employees, but also who from the suppliers. You know the IT technician who is going to go into the server room and does a, an electricity electricity check on the on the server. You need to know who that person is. They need to have robust um, processes to control these type of accesses, who can access that. And, and that goes all the way throughout the whole supply chain, including the, you know, the lunch guy that was going to bring in lunch to the server engineers sitting in a Microsoft Azure data center. It's a big um, responsibility and it's a, it's a lot of processes. But I think the good news from a Microsoft Azure perspective is that Microsoft has announced they are committed contractually to all their clients to be compliant with GDPR by May 2018, which is the 25th of May is the day that GDPR becomes effective. So Microsoft has committed contractually. So it means they are not just saying, oh, we will do our best. No, they are saying we're going to put it on contract that we are going to be compliant and we will be compliant for all your data in our cloud system. But that doesn't mean for our customers like mine and yours that they can wait until that because as I've got it, we've discussed more about processes like business processes and people processes because it seems Absolutely. to be more for that than for any technical solution out there. Absolutely. And I, you know, I don't like, um, you know, scaremongering customers, but I have to say, if a client is or an end user or an organization that is now in September 2017, they haven't started looking at 
GDPR compliance and implementing GDPR compliance, I have to say they are really late. late. They are running out of time because you haven't got enough time. You've got eight months left for GDPR compliance to take effect. And that's the date when compliance takes effect. That's the date that fines can be issued. It's not the date that you should start looking at GDPR. It's the date that you should already be compliant with GDPR. So absolutely, like you say, I think organizations have to start from now looking at people, business processes and solutions to be able to continue to be um, compliant. Otherwise, they are running a big risk of big fines and big, um, you know, investigations and so on. And that's, that's you know, it's, a, it's really a challenge for any organization. I completely appreciate that. And, it, you know, it feels very soon. It feels there isn't enough time for organizations. But bear in mind that GDPR was announced four years ago. Um, it hasn't received enough publication and, and enough media coverage, um, but it, it, it has been announced four years ago, and organizations must be compliant uh, by May 2018. So they have to start working now if they haven't already. And to be fair or precise, it is effective now, but the fines aren't there yet. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, I mean, organize, if, if an organization is building a business process today, they have to apply GDPR regulations and compliance onto it. Um, they can't build it and then start looking at GDPR because there won't be enough time. So I agree with you. I think it's pretty much in effect now, um, but it's going to be um, you know, monitored and investigations will start from May 2018. So organizations um, have to make sure they are compliant from now. So if we look back to Dynamics CRM, then do you suggest that we turn on these audit logs for reads then so that we can tell who read the account contact lead forms where we might have this personal identifiable information? Yeah, so I think uh, I would say that every organization is different. Um, the concept of a customer in every organization will be different. So some customers might have, um, in dynamic CRM terms, they might have the contacts as their customers, but they might also have leads, um, or they might even have custom entities as, as customers. So every organization must look at this from their own perspective. What are the entities that we use that defines and captures and stores information about our customers? And then they should consider switching auditing on these entities because then they will be able to report at a minimum, as a minimum, really, who, who have made the changes, who have access, who have made changes, who have accessed those records and when. And hopefully you can they can add a layer of data access controls such as workflows or approval workflows to make sure that those sensitive data are only accessed with approval. But then they need to also run, write up, write some notification routines and alerts to, notif to notify any data breaches or any unexpected behaviors. They have to document the whole data security model because if there is an investigation, they have to go back to show here is Microsoft Dynamics CRM solution and the, here are our data access security model. This is how we access it. Um, this is who is allowed to see what. These are all our security roles. These are the users who have those security roles. And, and they have to really show that they've done the homework. They've done their homework. They've done the efforts 
to make sure that um, they are compliant. So in which case, even if there is a small data loss, they can prove that they've done a lot to, tr to make sure they are compliant. Um, and I think that will have a big impact on the fines as well. So, you know, the fact that the maximum fine could be up to 4% annual um, turnover or global turnover, the, that is really, in my view, and I'm not a lawyer and I can't, you know, I can't say or claim that I know how courts are going to act on this, but my expectations is that this will all rely on how the um, organization have worked to protect the data. If they've done a lot and there was still a data breach, that's one problem. But if they haven't done enough and there was a data breach, that's a much, much bigger problem. Um, so they have to apply all of that in their Microsoft Dynamics. I mean, there are simple things that they can do which shows that they've taken the extra step to secure the data. For example, encryption. In Microsoft Dynamics 365, you can go into data management in the settings area. You've got There's a, an option for encryption, and you can go and change the default key into something else. Back this default key, back this key or encryption key, back, up, back it up. And, um, and here we go, you've, you've encrypted your data in the cloud. There are simple things, and that probably takes one of your IT um, consultants, you know, probably five, ten minutes, if that. Um, obviously, you need to process around it, but to actually implement that, it's a five-minute five job or less. So there are simple actions and simple activities that can show that this organization has done enough to um, be compliant and to be... Um, you know, in, always in, 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 in monitoring and attempting to monitor any data breaches. If I'm looking at GDPR, where, where do I go if I want to know more? Well, so I think there are, um, you know, there are many resources available. Um, Microsoft certainly, and since we are talking in Microsoft Dynamics context, context Microsoft have created um, a trust center area, which is Microsoft Microsoft.com forward slash um, trust center you can google or search for it online um, and within the trust center there's a whole area just talking about gdpr in there you will see you will see um, white papers you will see guidance across every microsoft technology not just microsoft dynamics but also there are microsoft dynamics specific gdpr compliance so i personally have written a number of blog posts and white papers on my blog mohammedmustafa.co.uk um, which are available free for anyone to download. Um, there are many other people who are writing about this in GDPR in general, but also in um, Dynamics 365 context. So hopefully there isn't enough yet, but hopefully more and more content and help is being um, generated by the community. There are a number of videos and webinars, and hopefully this discussion that you and I just had um, will add to this um, you know, library of content that, and resources that are available for everyone um, to understand more. But that's only if, um, if an individual or individuals within an organization want to learn more. If an organization really wants to take this a step further, then I would advise them that they start to look at bringing in someone who knows Dynamics 365 and GDPR for their solution. Um, just do a, an assessment to check what are the current processes, where are they capturing data, where they are storing customer data, and how they can improve that and how they can enhance it. And that applies to solutions that are about to be built, solutions that are currently being built, and solutions that are live and functioning and, and absolutely fine. These still have to apply that for all different types. 
So you had a session on Serum Saturday in Oslo for a couple of weeks ago where you talked about GDPR and Dynamics 365. Do you have any links to, or do you have any other official speaking points or anything where we can see you next? Yeah, so um, I've got a, f- a few sessions lined up. So um, I'm working with, with Microsoft Central Europe, um, where I will be providing a number of webinars to Microsoft partners, again, to talk about um, GDPR and Dynamics 365 compliance. And it's focusing on um, Microsoft partners in Centre center and Central and Eastern Europe. But um, if you can't access those webinars or if, if um, you know, our audience um, can't find these. Then the next CRM Saturday will be in Milan, in Italy, where I will be talking about GDPR again. Um, and if if not, there is another CRM Saturday in Paris around November time. Uh, again, I'll be talking about GDPR in that session. And then um, the most um, re- the most you know upcoming event, most recent one, will be Directions EMEA. Um, in Madrid, which is going to be the start first week of October. So if you are there, I will be doing a session on GDPR. Um, and by all means, if, if you can't attend the session or if you want to have a chat, um, we can meet up there and um, I can you know happily talk to you about your GDPR compliance of your Dynamics solution. I hope all of your sessions get full because I think there are a lot of people out there who are pretty late on GDPR. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a fascinating subject. It's probably not the most exciting subject, but it's a very important one, if you see what I mean. Um, so I, yeah, I, I can sense the, you know, the, there's a big movement of, of consultants and organizations who want to know more about it. And, um, you know, I'm making sure that I'm really getting up to speed and getting certified and everything around GDPR to make sure I can provide um, you know, uh, helpful advice and assessment for um, for my clients. So to try to wrap out here, if you haven't started already, start with discovering what kind of data you have that is personal identifiable information. How do you manage that? How do you protect that? And how do you keep the documentation up to speed? Yeah, I think every organization has to start with an assessment, really. Um, where are they capturing the customer data in Dynamics? Um, where are they being captured in all the systems around Dynamics? And then how they can protect this data? And do they actually need all this data? Or should they start to consider either protecting some of them and isolating this, the, some of this sensitive data or some of these PI data, or completely wiping out some of them if they don't require it? Um, and in all cases, they have to then to think about building up the business processes for the data access, for the um, for the security and, and, and everything else that we discussed. Thank you for your participation in CRM Rocks, Muhammad Mustafa. Thanks very much, Marcus. Thanks for your talk, and uh, it's great talking to you. And thanks to you for listening. And don't forget that you can subscribe to CRM Rocks in your favorite podcasting app. Just search for CRM Rocks and you will find it right there. See you next time on CRM Rocks.